Hey, we're going to carry on with what we just sang about. It's a big deal that uh, you're here, and uh, whether that's here on campus or here joining us online, it's Valentine's Day. It's a big day. If that's the first time you've heard that announcement, I'm sorry. You're probably in a little bit of trouble because you're running out of time. Um, But it's not by accident that the story we're looking at this weekend uh, is a love story from Scripture. We're going to dig into that in just a second. I love that, that it's planted right here on Valentine's Day weekend. End of last year, 2020, speaking of Valentine's, I got a, a up-close and personal picture of how terrifying love can be, how terrifying girls can be. My son, who's 11, some of you know him, his, his name's Wyatt. He's in fifth grade. By the way, I did get permission to tell this story. We had to bring in a lawyer, sign some different paperwork, but everything has been uh, checked off and I'm allowed to tell this story. At the end of 2020, uh, as we were approaching Christmas, Wyatt, um, unbeknownst to my wife and I, had a girlfriend come to find out. We're not sure if we're allowed to use the label girlfriend or not, maybe special friend. It's very complicated when you're in elementary school. Um, Come to think of it, maybe it's complicated when you're an adult as well. But whatever it is, they have a special thing going. And, uh, And Wyatt wanted to get Olivia a Christmas present. I was like, man, this is awesome. Who are you? I don't think I've ever met you before. He did some research. He came home one day, and he said, she likes horses. We got to buy her a horse. (laughs) So uh, I was like, okay, Google that. See what you find out. Okay, too many yards to mow with too short of time. That's not going to work. So he he goes on Amazon, and he picks out um, a a drawing journal, because they both love to draw, a drawing journal of horses you know, then like an 80-piece set of, of, uh, of not markers, but um, like crayons or that, that's, he will be really upset with me if I said crayons, um, professional art, you know, drawing and, and sketching um, utensils. And then he got her this necklace with a little horse on it. It's amazing. He wrapped it up all by himself. And Friday morning came, it was the day that he was gonna give the present to Olivia, and before he headed out the door, I'm like, buddy, what's your plan? You gotta have a plan. Um, He's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm afraid that like, if I give it too early, my boys, his buddies, his guy friends are like gonna harass him all day long. And he's trying to conceal. This thing was way bigger than he had planned. It's like sticking out of his backpack. I was like, okay, just, you know, do the best you can to kind of keep it out of the way. Give it to her at car line. Last thing of the day. He's like, perfect. So all day long on that Friday, I'm sweating. I'm like, man, I I need to know, like, how did this go down? I get home that evening. I go straight to his room, and I'm like, tell me what happened. What did she say? Did she like it? And he he walks over to me, and he kind of looks a little sheepish, so I'm semi-concerned. And he said, well, I waited till car line. I waited till I saw mom's car and they called my name and I gave it to her and then I ran. <laughs> and he kind of put his head down. He was like embarrassed and ashamed. And I was like, buddy, you did it. Love can be terrifying and girls are scary sometimes, <laughs> but you did it. I'm so proud of you. This story that we're going to dive into 
uh, this morning. It not only tackles some challenges with the topic of love, and we're going to get into it even more next week. It's a two-part, so the part one this week, part two next week. But we're going to get into some of the challenges and struggles, not only that comes with love, but that comes with the topic of faith. And we're going to see firsthand through the eyes and the life of a person named Naomi exactly how conflicted she felt when it came to this faith journey that she was on. And I'm pretty sure that God intended this story some 3,000 years later to meet us right where many, many of us are today. So if you have your scriptures, take them out. We're also going to have it up on the screen. You can follow along. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 1 this week, and then we'll cover the rest of the story next week. And we're going to get into the details, the highlights of this. As you know, we're in a series called Against All Odds. And the reason we picked this series is because we knew that the Old Testament, God's Word, has themes that need to be spoken into 2021. And we were praying about this even at the end of last year, and we knew that there are stories and descriptions and reminders of who God is in the Old Testament that we need to hear today. So if you have your scriptures, turn to it. We're going to dive right in. Let me just kind of give you the backdrop of what's happening here in the first two verses. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian, two great Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth type of names, if you ask me. They were Epitites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, I know for a lot of us, if this is your first time kind of getting into Scripture, or maybe you remember back when you first started reading the Bible, names like Elimelech and Kilion and Moab and Ephratites, they sound so foreign. Often, many of us close the Bible right there and we're like, I don't get it, and I am sure this doesn't have anything to say to me today. But let me kind of give you some backdrop and just kind of, as we ease into this, you're gonna see how significant all of these details are. First of all, Naomi and her family were from Bethlehem, and if that's given you like a little bit of spidey, tingly sensations, that's for a good reason. Not only did we celebrate the birth of our Savior who came from Bethlehem, but Bethlehem has a significant purpose in the scriptures. And this story, even next week, a little teaser for next week, speaks significantly to this place. It's called the House of Bread. But apparently, in this town of Bethlehem, there wasn't so much bread during this time period. In fact, they were experiencing a pretty significant famine. So bad, in fact, that Naomi and her husband and two sons decided it was better for them to go to Moab. Now, this is a big decision for them to make as a family. Moab was not just around the corner. I mean, it kind of is. It's around the Dead Sea. You go south, you hit Moab there. Probably took seven to 10 days of travel to get there. Imagine walking around Epcot for seven to 10 days, sunrise to sunset every day. It's gonna be a long haul. But here's the bigger significance of why Moab was such a big hurdle for them to overcome in traveling there. There was a lot of tension between the Israelites and the Moabites. In fact, they did not like each other at all. 
And here's why in Deuteronomy we get a picture of just what was so significant that had been taking place. Hear this, and then I'll explain it a little bit. For they, the Moabites, did not come to meet you, the Israelites, with bread and water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam to pronounce a curse on you. So go back, flash back to Exodus, Old Testament. Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt, out from under the tyranny and oppression of Pharaoh. They have to cross the Red Sea. I mean, it's a major ordeal. Pharaoh changes his mind. They pursue the Israelites. I mean, they get out of there and are hungry and thirsty. They come across the Moabites and they are not offered any water or anything to eat. And on top of that, they hire this wicked prophet named Balaam to try and pronounce a curse on him. I don't see why there would be any tension. I mean, what's, what's the big deal here? The Israelites, the Moabites, very angry, big riff with each other. You can imagine for this decision to be made, it was a big one for Naomi and her family spiritually. This was also a country, Moab, who did not believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel. In fact, they worshiped the God of Chemish, this God that uh, stood for destruction and for duress. For Moabites, they had no desire, uh, clueless uh, towards God's first command. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. They worshiped this God, and so even spiritually, this is where Naomi and her family are headed to. And morally, not just in Moab, but throughout that whole region around 1050 BC, the scriptures describe that morally this was a very depraved time period. In fact, it says at the end of the book of Judges, but just before you get into Ruth, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. It's a very intense time period that Naomi finds herself in. But something was going on in their lives. You have to imagine for them as a young family traveling to Moab, some of what they might have been expecting and hoping. Maybe even they had a head full of dreams, this anticipation of what might be next, of a, of a new promise that could be fulfilled this desire to get away from the famine and experience something new and take their little family and start something fresh. Can you think of a time, looking back, when your life was filled with that kind of optimism, anticipation, that type of belief? I was talking to my wife earlier this week. We've been moving and cleaning some things. We found some old photo albums. Remember those, like real photo albums? Um, and we were married in 1996. Our kids love to drag these things out and laugh at the haircuts and the hairstyles. Um, I have no idea. The mid-90s were an incredible fashion time period. Um, and so they laugh at that, the, the hair, the whole thing. And we're looking at that, and, and it took us back to, you know, when we got married, we first went and lived in this one tiny uh, uh, bedroom, one-room bedroom apartment. Does that make sense? Yeah, small apartment. And, uh, and we would have home group there with freshmen from high school, like moms and dads would drop off somewhere around 20 high school students who would come into our tiny little apartment. 
about three of them could sit on a couch, everybody else sat on the floor, and we would play games and make so much noise. The neighbors below us would come up to check on us, make sure everything was okay, maybe ask us to dial it down a little bit. And we have those memories of those early years. We moved into our house uh, around 1998 that we're still in. We remembered moving in there, we had no window blinds. We couldn't afford window blinds. We got into the house, no window blinds. Uh, We had no furniture in any of the rooms except a little bit in our own furniture. And we used to laugh. We would open up closets and we'd be like, what are we ever gonna put in these closets? And now stuff falls out of the closets. You know, we're trying to give stuff away, try to donate stuff. We're stepping on the kids' Legos and the room is filled, the house is filled. And we think back to those memories when things were so exciting and The world was all in front of us. But for all of us on our journey, there comes moments where a turn takes place, maybe not once or twice, but often in our lives, where a significant change happens, and we have to rethink our priorities and our dreams. And this is what happens to Naomi. In fact, the verses that we're about to get into It's like 2020, all 365 days of it come full on into her life. Check out what happens. It says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Just... Let that sink in for a second. Imagine going from those hopes and dreams, those conversations they would have had over those eight, nine days traveling to Moab, and all of a sudden, Naomi's without a husband and her two sons die. Some of us actually know exactly how Naomi feels. We've lost somebody in the last couple months or in the last year We know what it's like to have a loved one, a friend, pass away. For some of us, we've lost jobs, jobs that haven't been recovered, jobs that may even seem impossible that we'll ever have again. And that's where Naomi finds herself. So Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of the people by providing food for them. Have no idea. Maybe her phone was buzzing and she goes through her social media and she sees pictures of like food and she, she gets word somehow that back in Bethlehem, things are picking up. The famine is lightening up. So she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home back to Bethlehem from Moab. And with her two daughters-in-law, they leave the place where they had been living and they set out on that road to take them back to Judah to Bethlehem. And then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, not sure where this takes place, but it seems like they packed, were on their way. Maybe they get to the border. Maybe they get to a passport check. Somehow along that journey, there comes a pause where Naomi sees an opportunity to try and dissuade her daughters-in-law from coming any further. She says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And these next two sentences begin to show the incredible theological conflict that Naomi was experiencing, the struggle and the battle that she was having with God. First, it starts off rather optimistically. May the Lord show you kindness 
as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. There's this belief in God's sovereignty that he's still in control. But they kiss Naomi. They say, or Naomi kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Almost in the same breath, we get this picture, this paragraph of Naomi believing in the sovereignty of God. May the Lord show you, may he grant you. Followed by the Lord's hand has turned against me. Have you ever felt like your faith is living in that tension? If you have, that's exactly where Naomi's life was during this time. They weep aloud again. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Imagine the conversations they must have had when her husband and her sons had died, the late nights, the sleepless nights, up all night talking, sharing stories. These women loved each other. It was a difficult thing for them to make this decision. But Orpah decides to leave, and she goes back. But it says this about Ruth. She replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. This is one of the most significant texts in this whole story. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? It's an interesting question as Naomi is entering this town. First of all, you have to imagine that when she was talking to her daughters-in-law, there's probably a couple things that were going through Naomi's mind. First of all, she might have genuinely wanted what's best for them. The scriptures say she said to them, go back to Moab. That's what you know. That's where you can find a husband. Go back to your people. But there might be another side of this too. Naomi was probably anticipating this very hard moment right here, what it would be like to return back to her hometown and to walk into that space and to have not her husband, not her two sons, but have a Moabite woman as a daughter-in-law. This is a major no-no for the Israelites. The shame, the guilt, the embarrassment, all those emotions stirring in her. But there's another piece to this. When they're asking, can this be Naomi? The word Naomi in Hebrew means beautiful. It means pleasant. So you can imagine as they were coming into the town, her friends looked at Naomi. Can this be the beautiful one, the pleasant one? Naomi's quick to respond, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. By the way, can you guess what the Hebrew translation is for Mara? 
It's bitter. Don't call me beautiful. Call me bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The tension, the theological conflict. We often look at these Old Testament characters and we think they're so perfect. Gosh, if we could, if we could only live a life of faith just like they so perfectly lived. And God drops this story right in the middle of the Old Testament to remind us he knows we're not perfect. He knows we have hard questions. And Naomi is an example of that. It says, finally, this is the last verse, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. From hopes and dreams to heartache and loss, Naomi must have felt like she was collateral damage, just leftovers. There was no future, nothing left for her. A vulnerable widow at a time when you would not want to be a widow in that, in that uh, environment, in that culture. The disorientation, the uncertainty, but here's the deal, church. It's not by accident that the author of Ruth begins in the first verse, the very first words talking about a famine and ends with the harvest. And Naomi in that first chapter lives a very difficult journey. In fact, agriculture is a big part of the symbology of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You might even remember in the New Testament, Jesus talking about pruning and the significance of pruning and grafting, and there's all these images of a garden and how that is significant to spiritual growth. The harvest is one that would definitely have been very present on the minds of Israelites, on the mind of, of Naomi. You've probably seen some of these images, the old school way of the, of the way they would harvest barley. They would put uh, the grain on the ground on a, a concrete or granite type surface and, surface and the animals, the, the ox or the donkeys would walk around and they would crush the hard shell on the outside. Maybe a, a, a wheel would sometimes, you've seen those go round and round and it would crush so that they could have access to the nutrients inside and they would get a threshing tool and throw the barley up in the air and the shaft would blow away or they would use uh, these winnowing baskets and they would throw the seeds up in the air and all the shaft would leave and they would come back with the seeds so they could package that, sell it so that they could eat. You can imagine that Naomi was feeling much of that symbolism in her life, the crushing, blow after blow after blow her life being torn apart. There's a book that I've been reading by Larry Crabb called Shattered Dreams. Pastor John Tardonia uh, suggested it to me. It's an amazing book that highlights some of what's happening in the life of Ruth. And here's two difficult truths that he liked. We're not gonna get into, um, into detail, but just listen to these two very hard truths that we learned from Ruth, from Naomi's life. Shattered dreams are necessary for spiritual growth. I don't know about you, but I would rather avoid all types of shattered dreams in my life. And yet God reminds us here in these, these scriptures that it's under those circumstances often that he's doing the hard, difficult heart work in each of our lives. And secondly, this amazing truth that something wonderful survives everything terrible 
and it surfaces most clearly when we hurt. For some of us, we're in that space right now, aren't we? We're in a place like Naomi, whose theology is very real to us today. Naomi displays this very real belief that there is a God, that God is almighty. The word almighty there is Shaddai, El Shaddai, El being God, Shaddai almighty. There is a God, God is almighty, and yet things are happening that I don't understand. Have you felt that way in the last week, couple months, last year? I was talking with Lori Hall, a friend of mine who I serve uh, on with the True North Foundation Board, and we were catching up on some projects a few weeks ago. And after we got to talking about True North, I, I said to Lori, hey, I'm, I'm preaching in a couple weeks in the book of Ruth, and I'm, I'm looking at this first chapter, Naomi's story. And we got to talking and come to find out Lori had also done a lot of reading and, and study in the life of, of Naomi and Ruth. And by the end of the conversation, I said, you know, Lori, I really think that this, the tragedy and, and the difficulty and the challenges that she was facing is very similar to what many of us are feeling today. Would you be able to write a piece that would reflect the tension and the struggle that Naomi was experiencing? Could you write that from the perspective of a mother could you write that from the perspective of, of someone who knows what it means to walk a difficult path? Could you help us come into that space that Naomi was living in and be reminded of this duality of believing but struggling to believe, to want to have faith but struggling to have faith? Could you do that? She took up the challenge and wrote this beautiful piece of poetry. So my second question was, well, can you bring this to our congregation? And so she graciously agreed, and she met with our tech team and collaborated with Sydney, who's uh, one of our drummers here, and they put together this beautiful piece that brings all the emotion and intensity, the highs, the lows, the struggle that Naomi must have been feeling. Check this out. 